This show contains discussions of violence, murder, abuse, suicide, some use of language, and other things that some people may find offensive. We don't recommend Crime Cafe for children under the age of 14. Listener discretion is advised. At last, we are bringing you one of your guys' favorite subjects, serial killers. And of course, you probably haven't heard of this one. And unfortunately, he might still be out there. The Red-Headed Murders refers to a series of unsolved homicides of red-headed females in the United States between October 1978 and 1992, believed to have been committed by a serial killer. The victims, any remaining unidentified for years, were usually women with reddish hair, whose bodies were abandoned along major highways in the United States. Who is the Red-Head Serial Killer? Welcome or welcome back to this episode of Crime Cafe Podcast. I'm Amber. I'm Coral. And wow, I cannot believe we found a serial killer that we haven't heard about. Yes. Because we've tried. Yes. You guys have asked for serial killers. so much about a lot of them. I know. We've tried. I'm like, there's some serial killers that were like, you know, they're really well known. The ones that we are pretty unknown, don't have a lot of information yeah. about the victims. Yeah. And sometimes, like, I mean, this one, you can't be for sure mm-hmm. that it is, but it more than likely is. Right. <laughs> and there's always that doubt of, are they all connected to the same person? Yeah. And when they're unsolved serial killers. Yeah, that's another thing. It, it is unsolved. Yeah, so it you makes guys know it we hard. gotta give you an unsolved case. Yes. You know, we cannot do solved to save our lives. Yes, <laughs> except we did earlier this week. But anyways, so let's just go ahead and get started. And you guys better be thankful that we did a serial killer case. Yeah. We did this for you. <laughs> On September sixteenth, nineteen eighty four, the body of a woman later identified as 28-year-old Lisa Nichols, who used the last name of Jarvis, sometimes, was found along Interstate 40 near West Memphis, Arkansas. She was wearing only a sweater, and she was found to have been a resident of West Virginia. So, why is our girl in Arkansas? Right? How far is that? Um, So, Arkansas is right adjacent to Tennessee and West Virginia's way next to Ohio. That's what I was thinking, that it was a good... Yeah. You can already tell right off the bat, this man's is a trucker. Yes. So, authorities were not able to identify and contact her family members for some time, indicating that Lisa was estranged from them. She was not identified until June 1985, nine months after she was strangled. She was identified through fingerprints. I love that. Yes. She was identified by a couple from Florida who had allowed her to stay with them for a little while. Uh, I don't know about this couple. I don't know anything about them, why she was staying. I think they were doing out of, like, I imagine, like, out of the kindness of their heart. Yeah. They don't really know her, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, It's suspected that Lisa may have been murdered after leaving a truck stop on the highway and might have attempted to hitchhike. Oh, no. 
hitchhiking was such a big thing back then. Thank God that it's not now as much. I'm glad that's over. Me too. Um, my uncle actually dated a lady and her sister hitchhiked from like Georgia to California in like the 70s mm-hmm. with truckers. And I'm like, do you know how lucky you're not literally on this podcast? Yeah. Crime cafe. <clears throat> yeah. Because let me say like a deep cut theory right now. In like the 1800s and before, things were real creepy and sketchy, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody was creepy and sketchy. Okay, then suddenly in the 50s, everyone's nice. Everyone's so nice. Women don't do this. They're dainty. They're cute. Men, yada, yada, yada. They're fine if they beat you. They're fine oh, if this. Yeah. Everyone's nice. Leading those children when they get in their 20s, in the 80s, 70s, to believe that everyone's nice. So Billy Bob Joe in this big old truck, there's no mm. reason for her to think that he would be bad because exactly he hasn't shown her a reason. And also, I think back then everything was so like small town vibey. Yeah, everything. That you, because even around here, I've picked, I have picked up, I knew these people always, but I've picked up a lot of people hitchhiking and they probably would have gotten in the car with anybody. I did recently, you remember? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, um, but literally don't recommend that. No, no, no. Only, I mean, even if you know them, maybe don't. (laughs) Yeah. I was never alone. No. And knew these, but I, and I knew them Mm -hmm. also, so. And I will say it's more comfortable to pick up women than men. Sorry. I mean, it just yeah. is. It's just a fact. I'm not going to pick up a man, most likely. I've done both, but I knew both. So. Right, right, right. Yeah. If you know them, it's different. I, I wouldn't pick up a lady I didn't know. I'm sorry. I might call for some help for yeah, you, yeah, yeah. but I'm not going to pick you up. I know. Um. So, on January 1st of 1985, after four months... On January 1st of 1985, almost four months after finding the body of Lisa Nichols, the bound body of a woman was found near Jellicoe, Tennessee in Campbell County. Down an embankment off the, off the southbound side of Interstate 75, the remains were in an advanced state of decomposition as she was killed approximately 72 hours before. They could tell right away that this victim was killed by strangulation. And I think Campbell County is near Memphis. Probably. I don't know. My favorite like hobby is to make things up. So <laughs> I could be wrong. But she was Caucasian and she had shoulder length curly red hair. Her age was estimated between 17 and 25, but she could have been as old as 30. You know how vague that can be. Oh, yeah. That's the unfortunate thing about unidentified persons is that the age suggestions are always really wide and usually off. Yeah. And the victim was found clothed in a tan pullover, a shirt, and jeans. Additionally, additionally, she had been wrapped in a blanket, wrapped in a blanket, which was later found to have seminal fluid on it. You sicko. Yes. That is... This is crazy. So, her eyes were green, 
And the young woman had freckles over her body and various scars, including a burn mark on one arm. She was 10 to 12 weeks pregnant when she died. That is so sad. She had a partial upper denture holding two false teeth. It is believed that she was between 5 foot 1 and 5 foot 4 inches, approximately 163 centimeters, when she died and was approximately 110 to 115 pounds. What is it with the 110 to 115? I don't know. That's a... Very specific. Yes. So, the second Jane Doe was clearly loved, she was pregnant, which... I'm not saying that means she's loved, but okay. Yeah. But someone knows that she's pregnant, I'm sure. Probably not. Why? That early on, that far, that long ago. Yeah, and it depends on how old My she My mom was. couldn't even go to the doctor until she was like, I think she was like 10 weeks with Daniel, uh, approximately. That's as, like, they won't, they wouldn't see you until you were like eight weeks, I think, at least. And. Back then. If she even saw a doctor, she might not have told everybody. But yeah. it's just one of those things you have to include too. Like oh, she yeah, was yeah, pregnant, yeah. she had nice clothes on, she had an upper denture, which obviously is expensive. Yes. Um, and someone knows who this girl is. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They try for years and years and years to find this young woman's family to no avail. That is until September sixth, twenty eighteen. Thirty three years after her death, they identified her. Yes, thank God. The Shelby County Sheriff's Office announced that the victim had been identified by fingerprints Tina Marie McKinney Farmer of Indiana. She was 21 or 22 at the time of her death and was last seen in Indianapolis, Indiana, accompanied by a trucker said to be headed to Kentucky. And Tina had one daughter prior to disappearing on Thanksgiving Day in 1984. So she was pregnant with the little girl's sibling. She was reported missing by her family at the time, yet authorities in Indiana did not enter her into national databases. <laughs> the state did not have a law common to many other states requir- requiring law enforcement to enter unidentified victims into this database. But if you could, why wouldn't you? And why is that not a, like, that should just be federal law. Like, it's like, it should be obvious. Yeah. I don't understand that. This is why we could never be in any kind of judicial thing. Oh, I know. Because I would literally cry myself to sleep. I know. So this is a killer that holds on to his victims for long periods of time. Because she was found in January and likely killed in January. Because they said it was three days before she was found. And she went missing on Thanksgiving Day. So she was with this person for over a month. Lisa was first reported missing not long after going missing. Indianapolis Metropolitan Police Department Detective Nick Hubbs said. In 1992, Detective Hubbs said Lisa's sister, Sandra, called Indianapolis police again, telling them, telling them Tina had been gone for eight years and her family still wanted answers. I'm glad that, that she did reach out after eight years to let them know that they still wanted some answers. Yeah. Because I feel like if you don't put pressure on them, they're not going to. A spokeswoman for the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation said an agent received a tip about a blog publicizing missing persons that featured Farmer's photo and figured she just might be the woman found in Jellicoe 
three decades ago. Let's go. Yes. So investigators called on Detective Hubs to gather DNA samples from farmers' living relatives. Hubs also helped match the Tennessee body's fingerprints to Farmer, whose prints were on file after a 1983 arrest. The news brought some closure and comfort to Farmer's family. Hubs said they were upset, crying, but they were glad she was found. In a press release shortly after her identification, the TBI wrote that special agents are hoping the public can help provide information that may help solve the murder of Tina Farmer. If you have any information about this homicide, specifically any knowledge about the individuals Mrs. Farmer may have been with before her death, please call 1-800-TBI-FIND. But Tina's story does not end there. Tina is considered to be part of the redhead murder victims because in the 20-ish year span of crimes, they did not know who did this and she matched not only the type of victim, the manner of death, and the cause of death, but she was last seen with a trucker. But as it turns out, Tina has a killer who was identified in late December 2019, a few days shy of 35 years after her murder. Recently discovered DNA evidence identifies convicted kidnapper Jerry Leon Johns. That sounds like a killer name. Yes. Um, I don't know why, but the name Leon, that just always makes me think of like don't a sit killer right with you. or something. <laughs> don't I, sit right. I know somebody named Leon and he's a very nice man, so I don't know why <laughs> I have that connotation. Um. It's just like when someone's named Ted, I'm like, oh, I know. Okay. My dad's name is John and my uncle's name is Wayne. Stop. And uh, my dad actually told me one time that my nanny named, that's why they were named that. It's not. And she was horrified. Yeah. That that was a coincidence that happened. Your nanny, there's no way. No. She would never. She probably didn't even know who it was. Seriously. <laughs> now, we know what you're thinking. If he killed her, then he is the serial killer. Yes. Well, not necessarily. These women were linked together based on physical attributes, manner of death, and circumstances of their disappearance, like we said. However, we linked them together because so many women were killed by truckers between 1970 and into the 90s, she fits this grouping of women in this area. So it's super fair to say that she would be a victim of a serial killer. So you're like, okay, if he's not a killer of all these women, why even mention her case and why even mention him? Well, because we want to and her story is important. And for over 30 years, she was in the club that no woman, no man, no child want to be in. We will always recognize her as a potential serial killer victim. And Amber will tell you why. So Johns, who died in prison in 2015, was convicted in 1987 of aggravated kidnapping assault, and other crimes in the attack on a woman he picked up in Knox County, Tennessee, just two months after Tina's death. The attacks were similar. Tennessee authorities said the Knox County victim survived after being bound, strangled, and dumped along I-40. Her testimony helped put Johns behind bars, authorities said. 
Yeah. She survived. I would love to know her story. Yes, me too. A grand jury in Campbell County, Tennessee, ruled that Johns would have been indicted for the murder of Tina um, if he were still alive. And they said, quote, we hope this will help provide long-sought answers for Tina Farmer's family. Uh, TBI Director David Roush said in a statement, we also want this case to provide hope for other families in our state who are still waiting for answers. Our team will never give up on unsolved cases like this one as long as there are viable leads to follow. That's very sweet. Yeah. But, yeah, that should be the given, that they'll never give up looking yeah. for these people. <laughs> Don't give Cause... up hope. And that should be a reminder that she was identified, and then the next year, they knew who it was. Yes. It's like the season of justice. Yes. However, when we talked about Chelsea Brook, it's like, I forgot what I was going to say. You said it was a season of justice. And it was. Oh. When we talk about Chelsea Brooke. That happened in 2014. And you start to wonder. Um, is it really. That. Far off to say that. Murder has slowed down. I mean. Murder has stayed the same. Because the same things are still happening. Yeah. And it, it is the season of justice. But then you've got Chelsea Brock. You've got Gabby Petito. You've got the Delphi murders. I mean. Kayleen and, or Colin and Crystal. Yeah. Um, you know. Daniel Rogers. I don't know if you've seen the, about him on Instagram. Mm -mm. He's missing and it's. Brianna Taylor. Yes. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, Trayvon Martin. Yeah, Trayvon Martin. Um, Kendrick Johnson. Yes. Um, which has been reopened, thank God. Yes, thank you, Jesus. But it's like, please don't give up hope. But it's like, even today. Yeah, it's still. Even today. Happening. How? You've... Sorry, we talk about this all the time. You've got a literal video of a suspect and you haven't found him since 2017. And voice. Don't get me started. No. Uh, okay. So, um, let's discuss the third victim in this case. On April 3rd, 1985, the skeletonized partial remains of a young girl were discovered about 200, mar about 200 yards off Big Wheel Gap Road four miles southwest of Jellicoe, Tennessee, in Campbell County, near a strip mine. She was believed to have been dead between one and four years, and her age was estimated between nine and 15. She was found by a passerby. Super young. And nine to 15? I mean, I know it was just skeleton remains, so. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's why I probably... They couldn't. At least it's not Little Miss Nobody. I know. And they're like, she's between one foot and 800 feet tall. Literally. How do you not know? Literally. Even though 9 and 15 is such. I know. Like, physically. 
you're gonna look so different which one of those think about your cousin who's extremely tall and looks like a full-grown adult oh that's not my cousin niece (laughs) (laughs) i forget (laughs) it's almost like you're like my cousin cousin? (laughs) okay i know amber's family don't think that i don't (laughs) um so anyways you know who i'm talking about she looks like a full-grown adult yeah i honest to god would think she's 20 yeah she's if i found her yeah because she's tall yes and very mature looking yes and thinking back like she's not she's only about to be 14 but thinking back to when she was nine and what she looks like now it's like two different people i mean really i'll find a picture of myself at nine and at 15 and you can yeah exactly the cause of death of this jane doe is undetermined because it's skeletonized you know but it doesn't rule out homicide 32 bones including her skull were recovered from the scene her skull was complete enough to permit a facial reconstruction attempt. A necklace and a bracelet made of plastic buttons mm. were found nearby, as, where, as well as a pair of size 5 boots and a few scraps of clothing. These items may or may not belong to her. Her hair and eye color are unknown. Her age range is below the median for the other victims. But the circumstances of her death may connect her to them. And they include this young girl on everything about this killer. Mm-hmm. So, maybe she's not connected. Yeah. But she might have been 15 and looked much older. Mm-hmm. Or she might have been 20 and looked 15. Right. And we of don't course, know. Ted Bunny, Bundy uh, liked college women, but... At the end of his, towards the end of his life, he murdered a 13-year-old girl. And I would like to say, too, that back in um, this time, that when a lot of people, like young kids, did run away, they would hitchhike. Yeah. So, that could have easily been, she could have been a runaway that just got picked up by him. Right. We don't know, obviously, but. And that about the necklace and bracelets with the plastic buttons makes me yes cry. i hate that because i remember making stuff like that with like my kids at daycare that i babysat them it's so sad it's like finding a pasta necklace next to somebody <sighs> yeah it's Ugh. like a child you know yes so other similarities exist between this case and that of tina farmers and survivor linda s the knot in the cloth found in a piece of material found tied around the neck of the Campbell County victim was very similar to the knot in a piece of material found tied around Linda's neck. Two months following the Campbell County victim. So, recent forensic analysis of the victim's remains indicated she was not native to the area where she was discovered. The test showed she was likely born in Florida or Central Texas and had later lived in the Midwest Rocky Mountain states, the Southwest or the Pacific Coast. I'm shook. Like, the fact that you can just estimate where you live through forensic analysis that of hair. has always been the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. Bro. And, like, hair will tell 
like where you lived in the past three months and like teeth will tell where you've lived for the past 10 years or whatever. And then they just get, yes, it's so weird. Like they can tell off like diet and yes. like all kinds of different stuff where you probably live. They don't want my hair. No. <laughs> Our hair will be like too processed. Yeah. <laughs> be like, um, it literally disintegrated when I put saline on it. It was just dye at this point. It was literally just dye. There was no hair shaft. <laughs> Um, so on October 31st, 1985, the skeletonized body of a red-haired female, so she wasn't fully skeletonized, okay, she had red hair, she was found in Pleasant View, uh, Cheatham County, Tennessee. She was believed to have died between three and five months previously due to an unknown cause, probably homicide. However, her case is possibly linked to the redhead murders because her remains were found at the side of Interstate 24 between mile markers 29 and 30. I'm so confused how all these ladies were just like on the side of the interstate. I mean, I know they weren't like right on the side of the interstate, but like relatively close to the side of the interstate and nobody found them for this long. I know. And isn't it crazy that truckers like are pulled over a lot and you don't think anything of it? because yeah, they sleep in there. Yeah. Trucks. I'm always like, oh, they must be having issues with the engine or something. Yeah. I just always think like, oh, they might be sleeping. Yeah. Because you can only drive. I think now they, I don't know how many hours it is, but you can only drive so long before you have to stop. Yeah. Le like legally have to. Yeah. Which is good. But <laughs> she was wearing, she was wearing clothing, a shirt, sweater, pants, and underwear she was white, between 5 feet and 5 feet 2 inches, um, and her weight cannot be determined. An examination of her teeth showed that the victim had some evidence of crowding and overlapping in her mouth. This woman was believed to be between the ages of 31 and 40 at the time of her death. Plus, almost all of the victims were found in Tennessee, which is a pattern. Mm -hmm. And scary because... Because <laughs> we're in Tennessee as yeah. we speak. <laughs> okay i hate this next part trigger warning i hate stuff like this i'm like okay on april 1st 1985 the body of a woman was found in a large white admiral refrigerator in gray knox county kentucky alongside route 25 they literally threw a, ref threw a refrigerator off the highway her death was by suffocation, which we know the preferred method of this killer would be strangulation, but, you know, we'll still continue. The victim had been dead for a few days and um, was nude, except for two distinctive necklace pendants, one of a heart and the other of a gold-colored eagle, and two pairs of socks, one white and the other white with green and yellow stripes. But it was just, was it just one pair of socks? Just two different socks? Two different socks. Okay. Um, Amber's like, same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there were reports that the victim may have been soliciting a ride to North Carolina over CB radio. 500 people attended the Jane Doe victim's funeral, which was televised. The case was a local sensation in gray as the town was a quiet and sleepy place where little out of the ordinary usually happened. 
the refrigerator had a decal of the words Superwoman on the front. Bye. I know. I hate that. That's so odd. So, distinguishing features of the body included a number of moles on the right side of her neck near one ankle and below each breast, a yellow stained upper incisor, and a scar and other marks on her abdomen indicating that she had a kid. Yeah, a C-section. Yeah, like a C- it was a C-section scar. Yeah, she had marks on her abdomen indicating that she had a child. Ugh. Yeah. And you know how they did those back then. <laughs> yeah. Her eyes were light brown and her hair was red and nearly a foot long, which fit the pattern of the red-headed murderers. And after the autopsy, this victim was determined to be between 24 and 35 years old and approximately 4 feet 9 to 4 feet 11 inches tall. Just a little girl. Well, yeah. lady. She's like 40, but... Yeah, but... You know. Oh, no, she's not. They don't know her. That was the other Well, one. 24 to 35 is what they say. Yeah, she's not a little girl. No. Um... So, it's possible that she owned a pair of boots found near the refrigerator. Several missing persons have been eliminated as possible matches for the victim at this time. After the case was publicized in January 2013, the police received some tips, but it's unknown if they became solid leads. On October 1st, 2018, the Knox County Sheriff's Office announced this woman had been positively identified as Epsi Regina black pilgrim of western north carolina and a dna match was made between her and her grown daughter who said her mother disappeared when the girl was just six weeks old no yes in western north carolina sick which is super close yeah so she was probably literally just barely she probably wasn't even healed from her c-section uh it was an old scar she had a c-section and a vaginal birth back then apparently that's amazing yeah because they said it was a scar not an incision oh okay wow go epsy yes okay love that for her yes so epsy also had four older children one of which was also murdered in 2018. Mm-hmm. That is awful. His name was Kenny Anderson Pilgrim, um, and he was murdered by blunt force trauma by an ex-wife whom he had married just 19 months earlier on January 14th of 2017 and four of her male ex-convict buddies. Yes. His body was dumped across the state line in a ditch in South Carolina where it was found on August 6th by a state employee who was mowing. Tattoos helped identify his body. Kenny had five children that were left behind. Mm-hmm. So, Epsy left behind four kids and then her son was murdered and left behind five. Yeah. And they don't have a mom. Oh, well, they might have a mom. He just had married her 19 months before. Yeah, I'm sure they have a mom different mom yeah um i feel like it's uncommon it is uncommon for murdered victims to have children that are also murdered yeah but i we do see it 
Yeah. And this was obviously nothing. No. Um, on February 13th, 1983, the naked body of a white female was found alongside Route 250 near Littleton in Wetzel County, West Virginia. A pair of senior citizens reported the body, which they originally thought was, guess what? Oh, no. A mannequin. Why? I've never seen a mannequin in my life outside. Never. I don't know what these people are talking about. And I'm sorry, but if I saw a body land somewhere, I'd be like, hmm, someone threw a mannequin over there in that ditch. Wow. Yeah, and are they just straight, like, their legs straight, arms straight, like a mannequin? Yeah, mannequins don't bend oddly. Yeah. The body had been placed at the area recently as, as snow was on the ground, but not on the body. I, I'm sorry. I said that about I would never think it was a mannequin, but I probably actually would because I would never want to think it was a person either. You might be in shock. Yeah, I'd want to be like, oh, that's a mannequin, but deep down I would know. Yeah, that's why they approached. Police said that tire tracks and footprints nearby indicated that she was likely transported to the site after death from another location. Their examination concluded that she died about two days previously and was not a victim of sexual assault. Don't know why. Her hair was auburn. By 1985, she was linked possibly to the other redheaded women found as homicide victims whose deaths seemed to be related. Mm. Um, you know, I have heard of cases where they say no sexual assault happened, but it actually did happen. Yeah, I've seen that too. Sometimes you can't tell. Yeah. And sometimes it's not penetrative sex yeah that's very true so you know <clears throat> and she might have known this man they might have been having consensual sex right so she wouldn't have been no and he could yeah he could have worn a condom and had normal sex with her mm-hmm. and there wouldn't be well or sh- well <laughs> there might be yeah. signs that there was like a disturbance yeah but you know sometimes there's like bruising that could happen or something. Yeah. But I think if there's a, a rape, there would clearly be. Yeah. So she could have been having sexual sex. Yeah. Yeah. You never know. But um, with an estimated age between 35 and 45, this victim appeared to have been older than the medium for the other women grouped as victims of the serial killer. Her height was estimated at five foot six inches and weighed as a 135 pounds. Her eyes were presumed to be brown, although postmortem changes may have affected eye color. She had two scars, one typical of a cesarean section and another on one index finger. I hate how most of these women have kids. I know. Not that single women, or not that women that don't have kids aren't worthy. No, 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 no. It's just think of how it affects the kids. Yeah. For their whole life then. Yeah. And it's so sad because they don't know who did this. Yeah. So this w- woman's legs and underarms were shaven, indicating attention to grooming, not characteristics of a transient or hitchhiker. Witnesses described seeing a middle-aged white male about 5 foot 10 inches and weighing 185 to 200 pounds near the area where the body was found. The victim may have been seen alive in Willing, West Virginia, as an employee or customer at a bar. 
West Virginia authorities are skeptical of whether this victim is related to other victims in the redhead murders. But we include. Yeah. Um, on April 14th, 1985, this is the last victim that we're going to discuss. The body of a young white female was found in Greenville, Green County, and once again, Tennessee. She was determined to have been killed between three and six weeks previously by severe blunt force trauma and possibly a stab wound. So different. Yeah. Her body was in an advanced state of decomposition and police were able to obtain her fingerprints as well as DNA and dental information. She had been approximately six to eight weeks pregnant shortly before she died, but had miscarried before death. Like, what a sick fate. Yes. So, again, this girl was loved and missed and most likely, you know, just like the other victims in this case. So, she was estimated to be 14 to 20 years old, but possibly as old as 25. So, again... A very large range. Mm-hmm. And she was approximately 5 foot 4 inches to 5 foot 6 inches tall with a weight of 130 to 140 pounds. She had a slight overbite and had some, some fillings in her teeth showing that she had dental care in life. Her fingernails had pink polish. Because she had light brown to blonde hair with red highlights, her case was thought to be possibly related to the redhead murders. Authorities hoped in late April 1985 that they would identify her body, you know, through fingerprints, but they were unsuccessful. And six missing women at the time were ruled out as possible identities of the victim. She was not identified until November 2018. So she was identified when officials announced that the victim was New Hampshire native Elizabeth Lamont. She was 17 at the time of her death. Elizabeth disappeared on April 6, 1984. She was identified through a DNA match after a DNA profile was obtained from Elizabeth's family by the New Hampshire police in 2017. So leads had been, you know, led them to there. Okay. Leads for the lady, for Elizabeth? Yeah. Okay. Um, So she had been staying in a group home in Manchester, New Hampshire, and never returned to her family. She gained furlough from the group home. And if y'all don't know what furlough is, it's usually a term they would use in a jail or prison for inmates that have been granted a leave of absence from the jail or prison, or prison usually for something serious like a funeral. Well, because she was in a group home and a minor, she had to have permission to leave. So, she got permission to go on leave, but she did not return to her family. Um, yeah, I don't know why they call it a furlough. They act like she's a convict. I know, she's just a child. So and why? I'm sorry, but why did you not make sure she went to her family? Like, I know she was 17, but she was I'm, a ward of the state. Yeah, I want to know what she said to get furlough. And I want to know how they were like, okay, yeah. Okay, bye. You just, you go. You know where your thing, and then come back. Yep, come back to the group home where you're probably abused. (laughs) Yeah, Elizabeth's family was initially asked for a DNA profile to compare to the adult woman victim of the Bear Brook murders. Okay, the Bear Brook murders. Okay, the girlfriend of the suspect, Robert Evans, she had the same name as Elizabeth. His girlfriend's name was Elizabeth. 
Robert Evans was later revealed to be a serial killer, Terry Peter Rasmussen. Did you ever listen to Bear Brook? No. Okay, if y'all haven't listened to the podcast, Bear Brook, I highly recommend it. Still one of my favorite podcasts of all time. Tells the story of Bear Brook murders, and I may just have spoiled a little bit for you because, okay, it's him. Um, but it's worth listening to, and it's so much more involved in that. But they did compare Elizabeth's DNA profile to the, the girl, the woman in the in Bear Brook. Yes, that's so crazy. Yeah. It, that the way and actually this is kind of connected because they found out who she was by getting hair samples and stuff and finding out where she lived oh my God, and we talked yes. about that <clears throat> so all right so we've named the suspected victims and now we're going to discuss the investigations in more detail so there are some things that are facts in this case or similarities if you will it is believed that most of the most of the victims remain unidentified due to being estranged or not close to existing family members. They also may not have been native to the states in which they were found. And in 1985, not long after the Greene County victim was found, the states of Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Arkansas, and Mississippi requested that um, the FBI for assistance with the cases. There were inconsistencies among some of the victims and characteristics of the crime scenes, and some were found with or without clothing, and some had a sexual encounter before their murders. During the conference, it was stated that four victims found in Texas and a victim found in 1981 in Ohio, nicknamed Buckskin Girl, later identified as Marcia King, were ruled out in 1985 as possible victims of the redhead murders. Y'all know we talked about Jerry Johns earlier who murdered Tina Farmer and he died in 2015 before he could even be tried for her murder. Well, he was ruled out as the redhead serial killer. I know it's confusing and I can't help it. She's linked to, to them. So, you know, um, we aren't sure why he was ruled out, but you know how they are things like this. They just say they're not culpable or culpable. And then that's all you have. You just have to trust them. Yeah. Um, another suspect was a 32 year old truck driver in Pennsylvania who was questioned after kidnapping and raping a young woman in the state of Indiana. She managed to escape before her, before more injury. The suspect was also dismissed from this investigation after be after being questioned by Tennessee police. That is so... I don't know, it's just crazy that... I hate how they're always like, it, was, it might be him, but it's not. Yeah, and like, why they didn't elaborate on why it wasn't Jerry Johns. Yeah. Because... Why know. wouldn't he? Yeah. I want to know, like, was he a tracker? Like, what... We have some recommended reading for y'all today. And don't forget to check out our Goodreads list because we have every book that we've mentioned or or recommended listed, listed there. We have Killer on the Road of Violence and the American Interstate by Ginger Strand is an incredible book for people interested in serial killings but are tired of hearing about Bundy and all the other clowns. Literally. Literal yeah. clowns. Yeah. Um, Killer on the Road tells the entwined stories 
of America's highways and its highway killers. This story just discusses all of the murders and suspects related to the highway system, and they do discuss the I-5 killer, which I'm sure a lot of you are aware of, especially if you've listened to the Crime Junkie episode. If you have any information on the Redhead murders, contact the TBI at 1-800-824-3463 or go to tbi.coldcase at tn.gov. How do you feel about it? Um, I feel like it's so crazy because I feel like it's so hard to, like, connect them all or, like, say for sure if they were connected because we don't have any suspects, really. I think they're more connected with their hair color, age, and locations of discovery. Yes, the location, too, is a lot. Than the actual serial killer part. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, though. (laughs) We have found most of the serial killers. So all the ones you haven't heard about are vague. Yeah. They could be connected. I don't think they personally are. Not all of them. No, not all of them. Uh, Tina definitely is not. Yeah. I think, like, the ones in Tennessee, probably. In Campbell County. Yeah. That was mentioned a lot. Yeah. Which is... Um, so, yeah. I hope you guys enjoyed it, though, because, you know, it's multiple stories in one. Yes. I thought it was very interesting. And for him, like, or her... To have never been found. Mm-hmm. It can be, a, you know, and like the, the crazy thing about serial killers is it may not have just even been one person acting. It could have been a couple or like a, you know, a two truck driver team or anything. Yeah, exactly. It's so scary. And it could have been all truck drivers, but different ones. Mm-hmm. Most all. I think all but one was dumped on the side of the highway. Yes. And so, I mean, there's so many inconsistencies and about like um, being in a fr- one being dumped yeah. in a fridge. That's so. It's a bit much. Yeah, it that's personal. Yes, that does. And with the Superwoman logo Sticker, yeah. on the fridge, I don't know, but I, I feel like they have to have some kind of DNA or something. Yeah. That they could... It's shocking that they've identified most of these women. Yes. And we say the redheaded murders, the redheaded serial killer, because um, in the 80s, this university saw the similarities, these students, and then they dubbed him the Bible Belt Killer. And... Ooh, that's scarier. <laughs> um, but... They... The redhead serial killer was more of a thing in the 80s and 90s than it is now. Now it's like... Mm. Yeah, it might be. Yeah. I think um, now that we realize how many people out there are um, capable of murder that we kind of realize that maybe some of these things aren't connected because of the possible gaps yeah we hope that uh mr man killed seven people but it's likely that seven people killed seven people yeah and that's scary yeah 
That's hard to understand. Yes. I think that's why we like serial killers so much. Is because we like to think that someone is powerful enough to kill a whole bunch of people. And it's not a whole bunch of people killing people. Yeah, you don't want to think that there's like, you know, your next door neighbor is capable. Yep. You don't want to think about that, but it is the truth. Right. Um, and one thing for bullshit and banter, I want to say, was in the last episode, I talked about wanting to dress up for 70s. Um, and it made me think of, like, costumes and, like, cultural appropriation. Don't dress up as Pocahontas. <laughs> no. Don't dress up as a geisha if you're white, you know. Don't dress up as, like, a Mexican person with a poncho. How about just go as, like, a fairy? Yeah, a witch, anything. Yeah. Like, that's just my warning. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe not a witch, actually. Because they weren't green and... No, they yeah. weren't green and evil and stuff. Yeah, so... Actually, don't do that either. Just don't dress up. <laughs> just go why, I don't understand why you have to dress up for people to hand out the candy. I've always been confused by that. I know. Dress up as, like, Captain America. Yes. Or Thor. Or Wonder Woman. Those are very neutral. Mm-hmm. And they love justice. Yes. Um, do you know anything to say? No. Okay. So, we will talk to y'all. Later. Later. <laughs> At a later date. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye. You can find Crime Cafe on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Crime Cafe Pod. And you can email us case suggestions at crimecafepod at yahoo.com. Click our merch link below if you want to get some Crime Cafe shirts, decals, or coffee mugs. We also have a Goodreads profile in the show notes below. There you will find all of the books that we have mentioned or recommend on our show. It's free and no membership is required to see our library. This episode and all of our episodes are researched, recorded, and edited by us, Corey and Amber. All of our opinions are our own. Although we try to make these episodes as accurate as possible, some statements may be inaccurate.